Now turn with me tonight to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read from that portion of Scripture. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Find the place. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, What will this babbler say? Others, some, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto the Aeropagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, and dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And have made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell in all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed and the bound of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him. Though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your own poets have said. For we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, 
in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men cleave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysus, the Aeropagite, and a woman named Demaris, and others with them. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. I did say this morning that I was considering preaching on entering gates and gathering stones and I have just decided that I'm going to leave that until next Sunday night so (coughs) you're going to have to come back next Sunday night and find out what entering gates and gathering stones is all about and I did that deliberately because I was conscious that our numbers would be down and uh, hopefully by next week most of our people will be back and then we'll have a fuller congregation to present the message of the Lord in his name. Now my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 17 and verse 34. And it says, Howbeit certain men cleave unto them and believed, among the which was Dionysus, the Aerogopite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. And my subject this evening is simply entitled The Salvation of a Senator. Now after Paul and Silas left the city of Philippi, they came to the seaport of Thessalonica. As Paul's manner and custom was, he went into the synagogue and preached the gospel to the Jews. He did so for three weeks. Afterwards, he went out into the highways and byways of the uh, city and district and preached the good news of the gospel. He preached to them Jesus Christ, his atoning death and bodily resurrection. And amazingly and wonderfully, God worked in Thessalonica. A great revival broke out. Not only did some of the Jews believe, but a great multitude of Greeks or, or Gentiles. And quite a few, the Bible says, of the chief women was amongst them. Yet sadly, in the height of such blessing and revival, the devil stirred up the wrath and hatred of the Jewish leaders. They in turn hired some thugs, some bully boys to come, and they started a riot in Thessalonica. They attacked the house of Jason. Now, the commotion was so great that Jason was eventually arrested, and the Christians therefore urged Paul and Silas to leave Thessalonica immediately, which of course they did. Uh, Paul and Silas then set off in the direction of Berea, and upon entering that city, they also, as their custom was, went into the synagogue of the Jews and once again preached the gospel. And souls were saved, and hundreds were added to the church. Listen to what it says in Acts 17, verses 11 and 12. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honourable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. Now sadly once again, the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica heard about what was happening in Berea. They 
with others came into Berea and stirred up the people. Another riot erupted. And the Berean Christians decided to send Paul away. And the Bible tells us they conducted him safely to the city of Athens. And once there, Paul, of course, then sent word to Timothy and Silas that I want you to follow me as quickly as you can. So think of Paul waiting in Athens. And the Bible tells us there in verse 16 that at Athens his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given over to idolatry. That means that it was full of idols. Now, I want you to understand that Athens, even to this day, is quite an imposing city. It's a city of a number of hills. If you were visiting Athens, you could go to Museum Hill. You could go to the ruins of the Acropolis, which is really another name for Mars Hill. And it was on Mars Hill, the the court of the Acropolis, that Paul stood and preached the gospel. Doesn't it say in verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens. You see, it was on this very hill that the Athenian Senate met. And they met there daily, weekly, monthly to discuss things and to debate policy. It was nicknamed Mars Hill because Mars uh, is supposedly in Greek mythology to be the god of war. Uh, And the gods were holding the god called Mars to account. It's also known as the Hill of Judgment. Now on that very hill, as Paul preached, there was a senator by the name of Dionysus. And this man, Dionysus, he is named after a pagan god. The name Dionysus literally means, in Greek, the god of frenzy and wrath. And really we could say, well this is another name for the devil. And I've asked myself the question, was this man a a devil worshipper? Was he a worshipper of the God of frenzy and wrath, who was looking for his pound of flesh and judgment? Was he an idolater? The answer is yes. This was a name that was probably given to him when he was born. It suggested his parents could could be involved uh, in, 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 in pagan worship, in idolatry. It goes right back to family roots and pagan religion. They had some strange desire to call him by this name, Dionysus. Now it's amazing that as he heard Paul preach at Mars Hill, the Lord came in sovereign grace to where he was and dealt with him in such a way That by the end of the sermon, this was one of the men that was gloriously and wonderfully converted. And I want to tell you tonight, individually, that's exactly what God wants you to experience as you hear the gospel. He wants you to experience peace with himself. In Acts 4 and verse 12 we read Neither is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men Whereby we must be saved We live in a world of frenzy 
But we, we live in a world where there, there, there's wrath and anger. And of course, God wants you to experience forgiveness of sins, the, the wonder of peace with himself, the, the, the wonder of, of eternal life, the knowledge and assurance that you've become one of his children. We read in verse 34, How be it certain men cleave unto him and believed. And then among the which was Dionysus, the Aeropagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Just two out of the many are singled out. And as I read that, I thought straight away of just the title, The Salvation of a Senator. And we're going to think about that for our time this evening. I want you to think of three things. One, think of the message of the gospel that he heard. You see, that day in Mars Hill, he heard the message of the gospel. Athens, we already have gleaned, was full of idols. The city was given to idolatry. Paul, when he was in Mars Hill, pointed out to them that you've an altar with this inscription, the unknown God. You've set up an altar to a God that you do not know. We're told in verse 17 that because the city was full of idolatry, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. See, he told them bluntly and plainly, your idolatry is wrong. The Bible tells us, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's interesting that Paul didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't gloss it over. He knew that these people were deep thinkers, deep debaters. So he disputes with them. He, he, he confronts them. He confronts them with the error of their superstition. Look, look what he said there in verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, having got this invitation to come and address them in Mars Hill, he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. So you've got to remember that Athens is the city of Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. These are just names to you, but these were great philosophers in a bygone day men who have influenced thinking right up to the 21st century you could go to university here and elsewhere in the United Kingdom and beyond and you could study the writings of these men Paul told them you are too superstitious he told them the truth and of course isn't it true today that there's many multitudes given to idolatry? And of course, the idols today don't necessarily have to be idols of wood or idols of stone or golden images, although they could be and may be. But what about the idol of pleasure? People live without God, without Christ, without hope in this world, but what they live to experience joy and satisfaction. And they try to find it in the booze, 
try to find it in, in um, drugs and, and try to find it in parties and, and, and uh, drunkenness and, and reveling and such like. And they do that to escape reality. They, they, they do that so that they don't have to, 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 to think or, or, or worry. What about the idol of profit? How many people set a goal in their life to make as much money as they can? And they'll sell their soul to the devil to be a millionaire. What about the idol of personalities? Think of the many that follow the TV stars, the movie stars, the pop idols, and that what they're called. The, 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 the like of the, the Cheryl Coles of this world. See how I know that? Victoria Beckham. Fashion icon. You see, and there's people that look at them and want to be like them. Oh, if only I was like David Beckham. Would that be great? Or would it be? If I lived like them. If I had a livelihood like them, a lifestyle like them, I'd be happy. Oh, I'd be truly satisfied. Oh, if I could just be this or that, that would bring me great pleasure and happiness. That would bring me sunshine. To be all is it wouldn't. Because at the end of the day, it's still just an idol. And God says, Thou shalt know other gods before me. And here's the people of Athens, and they're given to idolatry. And Paul knows they have idols of pleasure. And they have idols of profit and idols of personality because they had the like of Plato and, and Socrates and Aristotle. And they, they have idols of pursuits and idols of politics. And yet he said, you're too superstitious. Doesn't the Bible tell us in Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When did all sin? We sinned in Adam. We inherited the guilt of his first transgression. Not only did we inherit the guilt of his first transgression, but every other transgression of the law of God inherited guilt. For sin is the transgression of the law. And on top of that, we inherited a heart that was polluted, a heart that loves sin, a heart that's the fountain of the all iniquity. Isn't that why Jeremiah said in 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. We were just thinking yesterday as we stood there to witness against the Sodomite parade in Belfast, the heart of man. How desperately wicked it is. The heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord knows it. And from that heart, then there's habits. From that heart, there's hardness. And yet that heart needs to be healed. And the only healing palm is the gospel. It says in verse 18 of Acts 17, then certain philosophers. We'll come back to that. But just think of the word philosophers. These people professed to be wise. They were educated. They felt that they were smart. And yet, they're confronted with the error of their superstition. You're too superstition. You're given to idolatry. And that is wrong. That is sinful. Didn't Jesus say in John 14 and 6, I am the truth. 
See, the truth is in Christ. And outside of the personal work of Christ, there's error and falsehood. And the question ought to be, what think ye of Christ in his person and in his work? And at this minute, these Athenians, even though they were wise, even though they were smart and educated, they were in error because they knew nothing of the personal work of Christ. Engaged in idolatry. Notice they were confronted with the exclusiveness of salvation. It says, if we read verse 18, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and said, What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And we um, read there in verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. He he, he preached to them that God was their creator and maker, that God Almighty was the maker of heaven and earth, the God who made all things. He's the Lord of heaven. God who is absolutely sovereign God who's in complete control a God who's not afar off but a God who's here now a God who's in the midst a God who sees and knows us a God who made us of one blood of all nations of men for to dwell in the face of the earth this God has determined our times before appointed this God has set the bound of our habitation and here's the reason that you might seek the Lord that you might feel after him and find him though he be not far from every one of us And in the midst of that, he told them about Jesus Christ, how that God had sent them from the realms of glory, how that Jesus Christ had entered into our world, how he died an atoning death, how he shed his blood, how he rose again victorious um, from death itself and victorious over the grave. He would have preached unto them that Christ is not only a sent saviour, but he's a saving redeemer. He brought them to the cross. He preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Do you know that in Roman history there's a record by the name of a man called Seventus. And he talked about a Dionysus that was in Egypt the day that a darkness seemed to befall over the land of Israel. And he said that that darkness was felt for three hours. Uh, And he said, and I quote, that Dionysus is reported to have alleged that either God is suffering or God is in sympathy with something. And you think of the darkness that surrounded the death of Christ when he was there. Thick blanket darkness. God was in sympathy with his son as he made his soul an offering for sin. And Dionysus knew something of that, even though he was hundreds of miles away in the land of Egypt. If we go with history, it could be one and the same person, Dionysus, who was a senator of the Athenians. Confronted with the exclusiveness of Christ. He was confronted with the edict of salvation. Look look with me at verse 30. 
and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Think of the word repent. Here's the soul's divorce from sin. Here's, here's a call to be sorry enough to, to quit your sin. Put away idolatry. This is not a, a take it lightly um, message. This is not something you can leave or ignore. This is serious stuff. This is a command. This is not something that's optional. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And here's the reason. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. By that man whom he hath ordained, wherefore he hath given assurance unto all men. Here's the assurance. In that he raised him from the dead. One day you're going to stand before the Lord. One day you'll tell the Lord why you dared to live without him. There, one day you'll tell the Lord why you died without Christ. One day you'll tell God about every excuse. You'll give an account for every excuse. You'll give an account for the refuge of lies. But on that day it'll be too late. Doesn't the Bible say, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Doesn't the Bible say, Behold, now is the accepted thing. Now is the day of salvation. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for no man will know of what a day will bring forth. Here's a very clear, plain, straightforward, simple, saving message. Confront it with the error of superstition. Confront it with the exclusiveness of the Saviour. Confront it with the edict for salvation. Repent. Not only that, but very quickly, he heard the mockery of the godless. Look at verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. This man encountered the mockery of the crowd. Here they are hearing of the resurrection of the dead. And, and the Bible says, some mocked. Now, 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 who were they? Well, let's link it up with verse 18. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics... The Epicureans are really the, the practical um, sort of evolutionists of the day. They, they would acknowledge, yes, there's a God, but he's out there somewhere, and he's really nothing to do with us. He'll not do anything for us. Life, really, your life is a matter of chance. It's a chance that you've been born. It's a chance that you die. And they believed in a self-effort and a self-help scheme. Do the best that you can to endure life, no matter what life throws at you. And then you have the, the Stoics. And the Stoics believe, well, God is everywhere. God's in the trees. God's in the plants. God's in the earth. God's in the flowers. We know of Prince Charles liking to hug trees and talk to them. Why? We hear of others saying, be nice to the trees. Be afraid of the trees. Show respect to nature. Now, I have no problem with showing respect to nature. But God is not in the plant. A plant is not a part of God, neither a tree. We're not all little gods. And that's what they, the Stoics believed. And they, these philosophers came along and said, life is hard and difficult. And there's no God to help. You've just got to endure it. And then there was other philosophers and says, no, no, life is hopeful. You can enjoy life because we're all really little gods, even the plants and the flowers. 
Here's the philosophers. Twofold. Endure life and enjoy life. And isn't that what we hear today? Think of what they said of Paul. What will this babbler say? Do you know what the word babbler means? A henpecker. Now if you look at a group of hens together in a pen, throw in some seeds, one hen will run and get a seed here, and then it will run somewhere else and get another seed, and another seed in a different direction. And that's what they were saying of Paul. Paul, you're just a hen pecker. You've got a seed of truth here and a seed of truth here and a seed of truth from somewhere else. And you've brought them together. You're really talking nonsense. Here's this seed, the resurrection of the dead. This is foolishness to us. We refuse to accept it. You see, that was the philosophy then. And isn't that the philosophy of many today? Without God, life's just to be endured. Without God, life's to be enjoyed. Dionysus, he heard these critics. He listened to the mockers. We read that he, he was even through their influence. For others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. So they were procrastinating. They were putting it off. But he ignored it all. And glory to God, the Lord, I believe, was at work in his heart and in his soul. He didn't allow himself to be influenced by others. He, he didn't put it off. What do we read? How be it certain men cleave unto him and believed among the which was Dionysus. He heard the mockery of the godless. But he didn't allow it to influence him. Or to affect him in cleaving and believing on Christ. Are you allowing others to put you off? Sam Workman used to say rightly, Folks will laugh you into hell, but they'll never laugh you out of it. And if you know as well as the heads in your body that you're a sinner and you need to be saved, and you have a soul, and the, the, the great need of your heart and life is God's salvation, then why put it off to tomorrow? Why leave it another day? Why go to friends or family members and say, Do you think should I? Whether they say yes or nay, you settle the matter with yourself before the Lord. He heard the mockery of the godless. And not only that, but he heralded the marvel of God. We read, How be it certain men cleave unto him and believe. The word believed is like tar, T-A-R, trust in, adhere to, and rely on. And that's what he did. He trusted in Christ. He adhered to the teaching of Christ and his personal work. He relied wholly in Christ. He that believeth, the Bible says, hath everlasting life. And this man that day experienced a wonderful transformation. Now, now let me point out, he was a senator of the Athenian court. The, the Aerocopite. That has to do with, with the judgment hall. He was a man of substance and sanding and, and stature. But thank God he was amongst those who believed. And not only did he believe, but notice the word clave. That word clave means to cling. If you think of cling film, how it clings to something that you wrap it up in him. Or, or, or think of another uh, word. Think of glued. If you think of the relationship between bricks and building, 
think of the relationship between a bride and a bridegroom when they're brought together. It speaks of a close relationship. Something that cannot be easily parted. And this man not only trusted in Christ, but this man was glued to Christ. Not just for time alone, but for eternity. Isn't it a little hymn, Now I Belong to Jesus? Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. History tells us that this man, Dionysus, became the Bishop of Athens. Bishop, of course, just means the, the, the teaching elder, the, the, the presbyter. If any man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good thing. And whether it was episcopos or presbyteros, they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. But as Bishop of Athens, this man, he lived for Jesus Christ. This man was loyal to Jesus Christ. This man had a love for Jesus Christ. And he died the death of a martyr. History records that there was a martyr's grave erected to Dionysus. And from that day he experienced the transformation of the grace of God. He heralded forth the mercy and the marvel of God in his life. He believed. He claved to Christ. All because there was a time when he came. Time when he trusted. Time when he called on the Lord. Will you call on the Lord tonight? Will you come and believe on Christ? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Will you come and give your heart and life to Christ in such a way that you will say, I've entered into a close relationship with him for time and eternity and nothing will part us, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. I'm going to love Christ with all my heart, soul and mind and strength. When I think of what he did for me, no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I'm going to be totally and 100% committed to Christ. I'll be loyal to him, come with me. i live for his glory. Is that your testimony? The salvation of a senator, Dionysus, the Aeropagite. And I trust that as you've heard the message of the gospel, clear, plain and straightforward, that the mockery of the godless, those that would tell you you don't need to be saved, or you don't need to be saved now, do not let them influence you or put you off. But you will come to experience the marvellous grace and the wonder of the mercy of God. May the Lord bless the truth of his word to our hearts this evening.